With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And ladies and gentlemen, the NBA regular season is officially over. It is play-in and playoff time and that's a very exciting spot to be. The play-in games will start tomorrow. The actual playoffs will start on Saturday. So we're going to spend a majority of today talking about the play-in games upcoming and a couple of major storylines from around the league. But before we do that, Logan, as we reflect on this regular season, it was an interesting one. But like, I guess if we were to look back on this in a few years, how would you sort of summate what we saw, what stood out about this regular season? Did you forget my name there for a second? That was pretty good. Yeah, I don't know you that well. I, I wrote down two words to start off and then just some of the themes of the season. Uh, chaos, fun. I mean, this is one of the most fun NBA seasons I can remember in a long time, man. Like, it just felt wide open. We had so many twists and turns. I mean, the biggest storylines, obviously, the Lakers missing the playoffs. Like, that's part of the chaos here is, again, you know, I've said this on the pod. I feel like I bring it up almost every show. I picked the Lakers to win the finals preseason, and it's just... We talked about this as the most disappointing team in NBA history, uh, I think unequivocally. Uh I mean, that's part of the chaos, the Celtics' dramatic turnaround. I wrote them off at the midseason point, as did a lot of other people. Um, A lot of people were quick to say Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can't work together. This is just not going to work. And they've literally been the hottest team in the second half of the season. That's a part of the chaos. I think the biggest part, I think the biggest part of the chaos this season was uh, the drama with the Nets, Kyrie mm-hmm. not being allowed to play, and then we see this sort of avalanche, this sort of butterfly effect with the team where James Harden eventually wants to leave, and we see maybe, I, I don't think we adequately talked about this in the moment, maybe the biggest trade, like regular season-wise, at least, uh, you know, in terms of star talent ever, you know, we mm-hmm. see Harden get dealt to the Philadelphia 76ers, and then uh, in terms of fun, I think those are all really big aspects of the chaotic part of this regular season. And then the ascension of the young guards, uh, just to name a few, you know, mm-hmm. the Cole Anthony's, the Tyrese Maxey's, the Tyler heroes. 
Uh, we really watch these guys. Maybe even throw Jordan Poole into the mix. I mean, guys really come into their own. Darius Garland. Darius Garland. Yeah, hundred percent. Darius Garland, Dejounte Murray. Um, a lot of guys really came into their own this season and uh, lived up to a lot of their expectations. So I just say it was really chaotic, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, genuinely, I think this is the most fun I've ever had watching NBA basketball this season. Uh, I think there's also the most invested I've ever been in watching the product and uh, formulating opinions and stuff, but. Uh, this is the most fun I've ever had watching ball, and it has been—it's been a wild ride for sure this season. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that, Logan. Yeah, I think <laughs> that first off, ever since I said the word summate, I've been thinking about—is that a word? And I don't think it is. Summation, of course. Summate, no. Try summarize. And I thought about that as I was saying it. I thought, should I just go with summarize here? The safer play. I like some mate. We'll make it a word. Well, but we can't do that, Logan, unfortunately. Shakespeare did, though. Was Frindle a real word? No, but he changed the game. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a reference. I think that I agree with a lot of what you said there. It was a turbulent year, I think, is maybe the word that I would use, and that is a word. I think that it was also, in a lot of ways, uniquely a tale of two seasons. And that you mentioned a couple of the flips, but the Celtics... Flipping the switch like they did, that alone very rarely happens in a season. To be 500-ish through 20-something games, to just you know seem bad in a lot of ways, and then all of a sudden you're playing as the best team in the league, that's rare. The Mavs had a super dramatic turnaround. The Warriors looked so exceptional, and all of a sudden they kind of fell apart. You have the change in dynamic for the Sixers once they get Harden in there. You have the Bulls obviously starting the year so great and then injuries taking them apart. You have the Knicks in the early goings of the year. That was more brief, but still, it was like, oh my God, they're surging, and then they fall apart. You have the Wizards falling apart. You have a team like the Hawks making a dramatic turnaround. You have the Nets just going on their all-around roller coaster, being pretty damn good for most of the year when KD was playing, and then you have the KD injuries, and just all around they fall off, and now they're sitting here as the seven seed. Mm-hmm. You just don't always see stuff like that. Like, that's kind of a wild ride of a season. I mean, I'd say for most teams, we have an idea of, you know, where they're going to end up at the end of the year. You know, right. like I'd say that basketball is probably one of the most typical ones. Mm-hmm. The the Cavs in how competitive they were during the regular season. And, you know, I mean, they slipped off, obviously, because of Jared Allen's injury. But right. they were a huge story. The Toronto Raptors. I wrote them off. I still owe... Wow, I just realized. I didn't get... I bet midseason, I think you were in on this bet too. I said the Raptors weren't going to be over 500. I bet that very early on in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said they were going to miss the playoffs. I still owe a friend of the show, Peyton T. Gallagher, a couple tacos for that bet. Um, I mean, they had a dramatic turnaround yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. At the same time, you have this like nearly unprecedented level of parity, especially in the East. Like, Just look it up and down the standings. The one and the 10 seed are separated by 10 games. I can't think of a time when that has ever been close to the case. And part of that is, yeah, the Heat won 53 games. That's a pretty small number for a one seed. But it's pretty darn rare that you see a 10 seed win 43 as well. And I do think that's part of what makes the play-in so fun and exciting out East is that it feels like everybody there actually deserves a crack at it. But the turbulence and really the uncertainty, and this is what I've talked about on a few occasions, is... Because of lots of injuries, really, this year, and some just overall weirdness, 
I don't feel like we have as complete of a picture of every team as we normally would going into the playoffs. Like, it's rare that you look at a team like the Sixers and you're like, okay, well, they've had Harden for 20-whatever games and, like, he hasn't totally looked like his best self. What really is this team? And the Celtics now, well, they were so remarkable, but now they don't have Robert Williams. So what really is that team? The Bulls trying to get healthier. You know, what version of them do we see? The team that looked so good early in the year or the team that kind of fell apart? The Nuggets, it now looks like MPJ and Jamal Murray are not going to come back, but like that's still not totally official, and that's been a question throughout this entire year. The Warriors, Steph getting back, like with obviously the stint that Draymond missed, and it was just like, okay, how much of this is the team just struggling without him being such a pivotal two-way cog and floor general? The Clippers without PG for so much of this year, it's just been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of... uh, Haze, I guess is the way I would put it. Like, it just doesn't feel like we have the same level of clarity that we normally would. And I think that's making for a really interesting postseason here. And I do think some of this stuff has been clarified a bit, but there's still some weirdness out there. So I think that we hit on a lot of key stuff. I think also this MVP race is going to be one that is remembered for a long time. I think that the blossoming of Jaw is really a major storyline of this season, of course. I think that as much as the Lakers were a dumpster fire, LeBron doing what he did in year 19, obviously so historically unprecedented, like compared to the competition, you know, the next best guys are like Kareem and John Stockton being pretty good basketball players, and LeBron is playing like at the very least a fringe top five guy on the planet. So I think that that's primarily the legacies of this season. Is there anything else in your mind? No, I mean, I think the biggest one that you hit on is uh, the the picture of teams. Because I just think that, you know, while I've been more invested this season, while I've had a ton of fun, I do think that there are just a ton of variables with each and every playoff team that yeah. we just don't know about. And, I mean, you touched on some of them. Um, I think even a team we're going to talk about today, the Clippers, uh, I'll, mm-hmm. save this, I'll save that for later. But, I mean, I, that's why this playoff, uh, that's why this playoff race is so interesting. Because yeah. of all these variables, I think this is... Uh, I talked with Theo about this last night on our walk back to uh, our apartment. It's the most open, again, I feel like in a very, very long time. And, you know, we talk about the Cavs and the Warriors and, you know, that long stretch where there was no parody in the right. NBA. I think this is the most parody I've ever seen in the NBA. Like, this is the best basketball product I feel like we ever – like, offensively, uh, I watched uh, – uh, last night I was watching uh, uh, J.J. Reddick's podcast and he interviewed mm-hmm. KD and they were talking about just the dramatic change. Like – uh, a dramatic change in offenses uh, in the death of the stretch four. Really good watch with those two. This is the best offensive product that we have had in ever. Like, I just, I don't know. I I think it's the best basketball's ever been. But I also think that, uh, I don't know, for this season specifically, though, I just feel like I have so many questions about each and every team. Again, the only two teams, and this is so boring, the only two teams I have full confidence in are the teams that were in the title game last year, or the finals, excuse mm-hmm. me, the Suns and the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Like this is college, the NCAA title game. No, the yeah. finals. The only teams I have zero questions about are Phoenix and Milwaukee. Everybody else I really wonder about. Yeah, I mean, I feel like those are the two best teams in basketball as we've talked about before. And there's an argument that last year was somewhat equally open. Maybe the fully healthy Nets would have felt different. But I think you looked up and down at the picture and you thought, all right, well, we knew how great the Jazz were last year. We knew how... Great, the fully healthy Clippers were. Obviously, the Suns ended up coming out of the West. I think that there was still questions about can the Lakers figure it out, and if they were fully healthy, I don't know. 
I don't think they were going to win a title, but maybe they could have put forth more of an effort than they actually did. And then out East, you did have a couple really strong teams. So I think last year was somewhat similar, but overall, I just think it's really good because it's not like a lame parody. It's not late 70s parody where you have these teams that are just like, okay, you have you know, the solid warriors and you have the Sonics and the bullets. And it's just like, yeah, these are good basketball teams. These are not uh, staple all time kind of talented units though. That doesn't feel this way. All of these teams have signature guys. They have like really exceptional talent. And I think that that's just a testament to how phenomenal things are around the league right now. But I really do enjoy going into a postseason and being like, all right, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Again, I think that there are two teams that I trust more than the rest right now, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other teams that can reach a really high ceiling. We just may not have seen it up to this point. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to get into this uh, because they're not in the play-in, but the Mavs also have the biggest question maybe uh, moving forward with uh, the stuff that's going on with Luka. You know, he goes out. uh, They said the injury is not super severe, so I'm really hopeful. But, I mean, Luka literally— I. I can't confirm this. He leads. He's number one in career playoff points per game. He's also number one in career turnovers per game for the playoffs. I would guess that, uh, you know, he's number one in usage rate as well. Yeah, uh, probably. Career for the playoffs. Uh, it, that's another variable that I just feel yeah. like is reasonable now with the Mavs. They don't have Luka. I mean, the Mavs are going out first round, and yeah. it's not close. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, like we said, we are going to spend a majority of today's show talking about the play So... We might as well go ahead and do that. Like we said, starts tomorrow. Obviously, we have the 7 and 8 seeds playing each other first. The 9 and 10 seeds playing each other. Loser of the 7-8 game plays the winner of the 9-10. Winner of that game is in as the second play-in team. Obviously, the winner of the 7-8 is straight through. The loser of the 9-10 is straight out. So, with that, Logan, we have the Cavs and the Nets in the 7-8 matchup out east. We have the Hornets and the Hawks in the 9-10 out east, we have the Clips and the T-Wolves in the 7-8. For some reason, I'm reading all these backwards. I'm going 8 and then 7, 10 and then 9, so ignore that. And then we have the Spurs and the Pelicans in the 10-9 out west. So out of that entire bunch, which team are you most confident in getting through the play-in right now? It's a tough question. Um, I think I'm... Just to like, just to make the playoffs, just to get in. Yeah, I'd probably say the Clippers or the T Wolves. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go LA. Um, interesting. And this has been an, an interesting debate. I know that the T Wolves have been super hot as of recently. Like they've been one of the best teams uh, post All Star break. Anthony Edwards has been phenomenal. Cat um, has been elite. I just think that uh, since Paul George's return, the Clippers are six and one. Uh, they have the best offense in basketball since he, uh, since PG came back. And uh, I just trust I just trust their role, guys, man. I trust their defense to be stout. And I remember uh, a couple pods back, if you go back and listen, I mean, me and Carson said we had a debate between the Timberwolves and the Clippers. Who mm-hmm. do you trust more? Because uh, we anticipated this matchup coming. We both agreed it was the Clippers. Uh, they've had a top 10 defense all season long. And again, with Paul George back, I have relatively zero to no question. You know, I have no questions really mm-hmm. about what they're going to do defensively. Um, I would like if Norman Powell was out here. Uh, I think that would actually make them maybe dangerous in the first He's coming back. Oh, he is? Yeah. Well, Norman Powell back then, I'm 100% in. I think that the Clippers can actually maybe make some noise in the first round too. Well, Um, he is. I mean, he is back. Yeah, then I'm I'm all in. I think the Clippers, 
I don't know if they win this first game because, again, the T-Wolves are dogs. They play hard. I think they're really yeah. comparable in terms of ability. But I, I just don't expect the Clippers to lose two in a row. I, yeah. If I had to put my money on it, I would say the Clippers win this matchup. But I don't think there's any way that the Clips drop two in a row. I think they're a lock for the playoffs. Yeah. I actually think the Clippers are probably my choice as well. And the caliber of competition is just so high out east that you can kind of see anybody dropping. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, man, I mean, Powell came back in two games, had 20-plus in each of them and like, low 20s minutes and was super efficient and I think has looked really good and is just such an important, I think, secondary creator within that offense. Like, I just trust him more a lot more than a Reggie Jackson to fill it up efficiently. And he can do it in isolation. He can do it out of the pick and roll. He can do it away from the ball as a pure shooter. Like, you know, you add a 19-point-per-game score on 42% shooting from deep to your team, and I feel pretty darn good about that. And, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, they've won five in a row. They are shooting the ball at a ridiculous clip in that time, making 19 threes a game, 48% from deep. Obviously, that's not sustainable, but... I mean, I think it tells you about the quality of shots they're producing. I agree. With back, though. I agree. They're creating lots of good looks from deep, and that's really, I mean, just fundamental to their ability to find success as a team. And I do think that PG is playing well enough and has looked good enough to where, I mean, he's a legitimate star-level guy, obviously, and lead option offensively. And then you just slide down the responsibilities for everybody else. Like, this is basically a 500 team without PG. And defensively, they are so stellar. I just think with their ability to shoot the ball as well, it's like you got to think one out of two games, they're going to get hot enough from deep to just carry themselves through. That's no disrespect to the T-Wolves. I think the T-Wolves are really good. And I think that obviously the three-headed monster offensively is scary. And I really do love some of their role guys. But I think the two-way foundation, the shooting, and now the lead offensive creation that you have with PG and with Norm for the Clippers is... Really impressive. Yeah, and this isn't even uh, disrespect to, excuse me, the Pelicans either, because I think the Pelicans, I mean, another one of the hottest teams post All Star break after adding uh, CJ McCollum. Yeah. They're interesting too, and they do scare me a little bit um, in terms of, you know, whoever loses this matchup, because I think the Pelicans are a. Uh, I don't know. Again, that's what, that's what makes a play in so wild, man. It's one game. You know, you got you to fight and claw. I, but I do think. I think I have more confidence in them because I think most people will probably say the Brooklyn Nets are their pick. You mm-hmm. know, I think most people will go, "Oh, no brainer." You know, you give me Katie and Kyrie, or yeah, Katie and Kyrie, um, and I'm gonna rock with them. The East is just tough, dude. It is. I mean, I, I could see the genuinely, even though the Cavs have been struggling, I could see them losing to. I, I could see them losing to the Cavs. I could see them. I, I definitely don't want to run into the buzzsaw that is the Atlanta Hawks. I yeah. think. Maybe a hot take. I might take Atlanta over Brooklyn as a team and, you know, confidence in getting out. Mm-hmm. I just trust Trey Young uh, to put the offense on his back and lead this team through. Uh, I don't think they have any chance of doing anything like last year. I don't think they have a chance at getting out of the first round. Mm-hmm. I think they'll make a series competitive, but uh, the Hawks are a very scary team in a play-in scenario, too. I would agree. Trey Young is one of the, like, just one of the guys I would least want to run into in the league in terms of a one-game uh, scenario. Very much agreed. I think that the Hawks are terrifying right now, as we talked about a little bit last week. All right, let's flip that question on its head. Which playing team do you think is least impressive and you have the least confidence in? Yeah, we could reframe this question. Who's the odd man out? Who's the imposter? We do odd man out. The imposter? Yeah. 
What team sus. is what team is sus? Um, yeah, we do odd man out. Um, new trivia thing on uh, TikTok. We do for nerd sesh. Logan plugs the TikTok mid episode every single time. Yes, I have to. If and you're I listening right now, go subscribe to nerd sesh on TikTok. Go watch follow. some trivia videos. Uh, subscribe, follow, whatever. Click that <laughs> button for me. Yeah, click the button. And then click that heart button on all of our videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we do this game, Odd Man Out. You know, who's the odd man out? I think the Spurs are the odd man out. And it's Honestly, I like the additions that San Antonio made. I think they, they paid off. I've liked what I've seen from Zach Collins in his return. Um, Doug McDermott was a valuable asset with how poor shooting the rock they were. Uh, the Spurs made the best moves that they could make. But the Spurs... The Spurs are just kind of in basketball purgatory, man. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, DeJounte Murray took a leap, I think, oh, crazy efficiently, too. And I don't mean in terms of shooting the ball. In terms of not turning the ball over. Oh, I um, was going to say. Yeah, DeJounte is not a is not an efficient shooter. Yeah. Um, like 51% true shooting, yeah. I think, this year. Pretty like low. Cannot Just cannot shoot the three ball. That's a big thing. Uh, DeJounte took a leap, but, I mean, it's like, what other creation? It, to me, that's the obvious thing that San Antonio needs moving forwards. They keep going out in the draft, and they keep investing um, in these guards. You know, they, they got Lonnie Walker. Uh, they get Derek White. They get DeJounte Murray. They, they keep going back to the well, the Josh Primos of the world. Mm-hmm. One of these days, it's going to pay off, and they're going to get their guy who can, you know, really fill it up really efficiently and run this team. Uh, I like DeJounte. I think DeJounte is a two or three on a really good winning team, and they just— what does what San Antonio do exceptionally well? Nothing. Not They're very mediocre. They can't shoot the ball. I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I am a little upset that San Antonio made it here just because I think that L.A. would be a more interesting team to have, even though L.A. plays such horrendously ugly basketball. Yeah. Just in terms of star power, I would have loved to have seen of course. LeBron and A.D. out here. And I feel, kind of, I feel kind of shortchanged that we didn't get that because I feel like San Antonio is just going to get absolutely mopped in this first game and just be done. Yeah, I think the Pelicans are clearly better than them. I don't know if like I would guarantee a loss in the first game, but I think the crux of it is what you said. What do they do exceptionally well? Because if you're going to go on a little mini run of any kind, you got to have an ace up the sleeve, right? Like You need to be able to have a couple of exceptional shooting nights in a row. You need to have that one supernova talent who can carry you, or you need to have just some really high level that you can reach defensively where you make the opposing team uncomfortable and take away what they want to do primarily. And I just don't think the Spurs have any of those things. They're at a talent deficit. They are thoroughly mediocre on both ends of the ball. They don't shoot with particularly high volume from deep or particularly well. Their lead guy, DeJounte, has been playing really, really well as of late. And I said the 51% true shooting number. It's actually above 53 just because of what he did post-All-Star break where he was 25, 8, and 9 on 57% true shooting. That's insane production and good efficiency as well. But obviously he doesn't compare in terms of his, you know, ability to dominate the game offensively to most lead guys in this conversation and to do so efficiently and especially just as a pure scorer of the basketball. So I look at the Spurs and I just kind of shrug and I just don't really see that path for them. So I feel like they're a no-brainer. I mean, every team out east is significantly better. The Pelicans have been significantly better as of late. The Timberwolves and Clippers have both been hot and are just good basketball teams mm-hmm. all around. And I don't know. The Spurs are just... Stinky. They don't really match up in any way, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Uh, I think you said it well about DeJounte. I, 
I think it is going to be good for them to go back and, and see what they can hit in the lotto. I mean, it's just an unreasonable load for him to carry. This entire year has been, and that's why I really want to see him in a more normal basketball situation because it's super impressive to put up 21, eight and nine in any context while you're playing at a borderline all defense level. Yeah. Like DeJounte is a damn good basketball player, but Again, he doesn't have all the lead scorer skill sets, like just because the pull-up jump shooting game from deep isn't all the way there. He's got the mid-range game, but it's just not like overly efficient. So I think he's a really good basketball player, though. But this is a really tough spot. Yeah. Um, what and you- they weren't supposed to be here also. Like They won 34 games. So I, it's not that they overachieved necessarily. It's just that the teams competing for the other players for the plan around them underachieved. Yeah. In a way to change this, we, again, this is another topic that we've talked about on the show pretty extensively. Uh, uh, the idea of just a play in a team that is 34 and 48 yes. does not deserve to make the playoffs. They point do not. Blank. And I mean, the way to change this is to give the seven seed, you give them the buy, you let the eight and nine seed play. And then uh, that's it. The seven seed gets in, you let eight and nine fight it out. I, I just I, think it's pointless to even have the Spurs in this convo. I think it should be triggered. I don't have a problem with even having a 9-10 if they are all within three games. Like, I've said this many times before, but I think the way that they did in the bubble was great, where it was within two games you triggered the plan. I think that there should be a plan in the East this year. I think that's super fun. I do not think there should be a plan out West, and I would really like to see that implemented. I don't think that it will be, but I would be a big fan of that. All right, last overarching question about the plan here. We've talked about who we have the most faith in to get through the plan, but if they do get through, presuming that they're already at that point, who do you think has the most potential to actually make noise in a playoff series out of all these teams? Honestly, I think the Nets, T-Wolves, and Clippers all have a legit shot to make some noise if they get through the play-in. Who do I think has the best shot? Honestly... I kind of want to say the Clippers. It sounds nuts. Interesting. I don't know. I Brooklyn, s- the thing that scares me about Brooklyn is that you're going to draw Boston first round, right? Because if they win uh, first matchup, they're going to get Boston. And I think it's going to be a dogfight because with Rob Williams out, it's actually a bit of a competition. Mm-hmm. But I think Tice can supplement Williams enough to make it through one series against Brooklyn and then get Rob back. So I think I'm going to say the Clippers because the Clippers can draw whoever draws Memphis. I guess is my answer. If it's Timber, if it's Minnesota, or if it's LA. Mm. Um, again, no hate to no hate to Memphis because what they have done during the regular season uh, has been phenomenal. And just looking at numbers, they they seem like a no brainer that they should just get through the first round. They have the best defense in all of basketball. They've got a like one of the deepest benches in all of basketball. John Conchar just had a triple double last night. Of all people. Yeah, last day of the regular season. Yeah. Doesn't count. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Completely irrelevant. Yeah, OB just didn't drop 41. Who cares? Uh, Memphis has one of the deepest teams in the league. They have such good ro- role and rotation players. Like, I love a lot of guys up and down this bench, but there's a there's just a part of me that is really skeptical about this team. There's not a whole lot of playoff experience here. I wonder if they can go cold shooting. Like, if Dylan Brooks or Jaron Jackson Jr. has a bad offensive series, I think it could sink their ship because I think they need them. And so, yeah, I'm. And, and LA is a team that, like you said, man, over this winning streak, they are shooting 48% from behind the arc. Mm-hmm. 
there is a world because the Clippers are just like that. Yeah. Ty Lue is a genius when it comes to uh, matchups in in series, in game. They have PG back. They have Norman Powell back. There is a world in which LA shoots damn near 50% from behind the arc and just runs Memphis off the floor. And I don't yeah. mean run it. It's going to be a six-game, seven-game series. But I think it's the Clippers. The Clippers are a scary playing team. And if they draw Memphis, there's 100% a world in which I see LA winning. I think it's pretty unlikely. Uh, the Grizzlies are a really stellar two-way team with a superstar at the top and some really phenomenal role players. But I agree with you in the sense that you're not asking LA to do anything that they didn't do against the Jazz in games five and six last year when they didn't have Kawhi. I mean, mm -hmm. the PG and supporting cast Clippers of last year they might even be better this year because of Norman Powell. And we know what they can do defensively. We know what they can do shooting. And again, now there's a little bit more reliable creation there even. And yes, they shot the ball insanely well. They were like 50% from deep. Reggie Jackson was on another planet. Terrence Mann had 37. Like these are not things that are extremely replicable. And it was also a favorable matchup and they went small. All these things that, yes, are unique to any given matchup. But my point is PG creating as a facilitator and scorer with some secondary creation alongside him, shooting and good defense is a pretty scary formula. So I don't think they're a bad choice. I also think that the Hawks have to be brought up in this conversation just because of their offensive brilliance. I mean, they were the second best offense in basketball this year and they've been average defensively over like their last 15 games. And that really could be enough with the amount of offensive talent they have and Trey Young at the helm. But I still have to go with the Nets. I just think that... When you are looking at the offensive ceiling that is presented to you when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's still pretty pretty remarkable. And, I mean, just when KD plays this year, like, the Nets have been a damn good basketball team. And so when he is playing at the level that he has been where he's given you 37.5 and 6.5 on insane efficiency – it's very scary. They're 36 and 19 when KD plays this year. Like, that is not the mark of a play in team. That is a team playing at the pace of basically the best team out East. I mean, that's a team that's on pace to win like 53 games, roughly. So I do still have faith in that. And I think that they're really scary. And there is the potential of Ben Simmons coming back that we're hearing about now for round one as Logan scoffs. What do you think about that? A potential Ben Simmons return? Whatever. Look, look, don't really? Get, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, and I keep reading. There's optimism that Ben Simmons may return, and they need him. And that's something that I stress to a lot of people. They need Ben Simmons to make it through. I think, and not in scoring. Obviously, Ben doesn't bring that to the table, but he brings defense. He brings transition offense. He brings playmaking, and it, they desperately need his perimeter defense. I don't know, bro. Like just last night, there was this tweet that. <laughs> Ben Simmons was on Call of Duty for like 23 straight hours. It's like, I don't know, dude. I, he was just vibing, man. He was having a good time with the fellas in the lobby. I don't like... Ben Simmons? I don't like Ben Simmons. No, I do not. <laughs> I do not like Ben Simmons at all. I don't like making light of people's mental health struggles. But I think it's a load of bullshit. I think Ben Simmons is one of the softest NBA players to ever exist. I think that his sore back BS, I think it's bull. I think that 
He's not right in the head. I think that's bull. I just think Ben Simmons is a soft guy. He's a soft boy. He's a very soft boy. And I just... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't think Ben Simmons is coming back this season because I think he's soft. I think he's soft. Okay. I don't think Ben Simmons is built for the league. I'm just like, bro... Look, bro, if I was... All I'm saying is if I was 6'10", 250 pounds, I'd be the greatest basketball player who ever lived. I would be. Because I'd be in the gym working my tail off. And Ben Simmons isn't. He's playing Call of Duty and buying NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Like, look, man, I'm not going to – I hope we see him back because Ben is a very talented basketball player. And, again, I think the Nets need him to make it through the playoffs. But, no, I don't think he comes back. I'm looking at Logan's notes, and it literally says, Ben Simmons return. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. You've been saying it all year. Yeah, oh, I don't he's know. he's supposed to be back by the All-Star break. Oh, he's supposed to be back by the end of the season. Oh, he's going to be here for the play-in. We're going to be 30, and Ben's going to be – 2,000 hours deep into his Call of Duty game. Do you think he's going to be back? I don't know. I mean, it's very tough, I think, to get a read on that stuff without insider knowledge. But what I will say is, if he does come back, the Nets... I don't know if I would say they can beat anybody. Wow. Out East, at least. But... They're very scary, I think. Okay, if I had to put you on the spot without without Ben Simmons putting you on the spot, if, do yeah. you think they beat Boston? No. With Ben Simmons, do you think they beat Boston? I think it's pretty much 50-50, honestly. Like, again, I wasn't a huge fan of the Ben Simmons trade for them. I thought that, like, I mean, obviously getting Seth was a huge win. But I talked about how, yeah, okay, sure, he does some nice gadget things offensively, but it's like, is he going to embrace that role? Do you really need more offense when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just because, like, they're kind of exceptional there no matter what? There's just so much creation, and the playmaking comes so easily just because of the gravity those guys have as scorers. Where I was like, really, his impact is going to be being a great perimeter defender, but even one great perimeter defender can't totally rewire a team defense that has been just not that great this year at all and has really regressed as things have gone along. But I don't know. I just think that it's not that unreasonable to say, yeah, Katie and Kyrie can go absolutely berserk for a series offensively. Seth can shoot the lights out. The role guys will do the little stuff. You know, maybe you get some Cam Thomas explosion in there. You get some big Patty performances. And then it's like, Simmons is a guy who legitimately can go out there and impact top wings, and if he fully devotes himself there, can uh, nobody's stopping Jason Tatum, obviously, but you can force him into really tough shots, and sometimes those just don't fall. And I don't know. I do think that a wing tandem defensively of Simmons and KD is pretty damn good because, like, you don't have – great like true point of attack you know guard defenders but well except obviously except for Simmons but like your little guards your Kyrie Seth that's far from ideal but you don't really need that against the Celtics you need guys who can guard wings and I think that they would have a pretty solid pairing there and with one truly great guy in Ben Simmons and then you lean on your superstars offensively? I don't know. Again, I wouldn't bet on it because the Celtics are still significantly better defensively. They do have shot creation from everywhere. 
uh, and they're just kind of gelling. But I think the Nets still have a higher ceiling offensively, honestly, because I have that much faith in KD and Kyrie. And I think that Simmons would significantly improve things for them defensively. But I still probably wouldn't pick them. But it would be, I would be really close, actually. I don't know. I don't know if I agree. I don't know if I agree with... How much do you value the fact that they're 36 and 19 when KD plays? Because like, I just feel like there's so much negative association surrounding this team that you forget that number. Because that is literally... I yeah. mean, that is like being on pace to be the one seed out east. It's a fair point. I just think a lot of the things you said, I mean... It's a 53.7 win pace. That would be the one seed out east. I mean, a lot of what you said, though, I mean, the, the defense with Boston, I just trust more. Like, that's yeah. something that I think we're taking for granted here is, like, don't get me wrong, you can't ever take out KD. You can't ever take out Kyrie. These guys mm-hmm. are way too damn effective. They're two of the greatest isolation players in basketball. You're not going to take them out. But again... This is the most switchable five in basketball. Still with Daniel Tice, I still think that rings true. But who has ever made Kevin Durant uncomfortable ever? Nobody. Literally, I'm not not saying that you can't, but I'm saying that you can. Boston is going to have Boston and Miami have the two best lineups to throw at this guy in all of basketball. Um, I just straight up, honestly, pretty much don't think it matters with Kevin Durant. Like I think he might be the one exception alive. His shot is unaffectable. His, and so his game is effectively unaffectable to me. Effectively unaffectable. Okay, and then you're asking you're asking Seth to still pull his weight. You're asking Patty to pull his weight. You're asking Dragic to pull his weight and Kyrie to pull his weight I'm against not the best defense in basketball. And I just think, I think it's a tall asking price. I would not bet on them. I would bet Boston to, to get out of the first round against Brooklyn still. Um, and, I, you know, and even with a healthy Ben Simmons, I still might still expect Boston to get well, out. Well, to be clear, I'm talking about with a healthy Ben Simmons. I would not pick them without Ben yeah. Simmons. I think even with a healthy Ben Simmons, I still think I might be leaning Boston. I'm, I'm still big on Boston, man. Um, I don't think they can win the title, but I still think they can make some noise in the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, I don't I, I Do you think Do you think Ben is, like, that's what I don't think we're discussing enough, man. It's like, if Ben comes back for the playoffs, this is the last time we saw Ben play, right? Last time we saw Ben play was in the playoffs last season. Mm-hmm. If Ben comes out here for Brooklyn and shits the bed and doesn't play well, yeah, I mean, what is this going to... like? Ben might be done. What do like, you mean I don't that? think he can take another... Like, psychologically? Yes. I don't think Ben can take another playoff performance like last season with Philly. I think it would... I think it would kill him mentally. I think it would I think it would just psych him out. Like I don't know how he takes the floor again, bro. Well, he's getting $38 million in 2025, so I yeah, hope he takes the floor. Yeah, you'd figure that would give him incentive enough to play some basketball, right? Yeah. Ben Simmons might be my least favorite player in all of basketball. Interesting. Might be. Like outside of Russell Westbrook. Actually, no, I think I hate Ben Simmons. At least Russell goes out there. <laughs> I, think I, I, think I, I think I hate Ben Simmons. Yeah, ben he Simmons does play is the game. Most hated NBA player. Wow, interesting. I don't know. I think that obviously he needs to make adjustments. He needs to be out on the actual basketball court. But I do still think he's a guy who can have a winning impact. But we'll see. I I don't think that we should be like, oh my god, push all your chips into the middle of the table with the Nets like they're a bona fide home run because we just haven't seen that. But the Kevin Durant factor, the Kyrie factor, the pure shooting around them with your Seth, your Patty, and uh, that's just scary, I think. Let me but I don't you. think they're good enough defensively without Simmons. Let me ask you one more question about Ben. Okay. 
Are you worried about him messing up the flow of the offense at all? Are you worrying mildly less spacing for I mean, Katie and Kyrie with him out there? Well, yeah, I actually I would say so, and like that's one thing that I have had to consider with him. And again, like that's why I wasn't a huge fan of it because it's like there are possessions where he's just not a positive, right? Like where it's just okay, great. Well, we have a guy in the dunker spot, and now we have two non-shooters on the floor, and we could have had really one non-shooter on the floor, and well, that's obviously not ideal. And I don't really want him ever, like, initiating the offense from the perimeter. And, uh, I don't know, Aldridge has obviously been, like, effectively just X'd out of the rotation. But early in the year, he was a damn good offensive big man. And even if he wasn't spacing it out to the three-point line, you had the constant pick-and-pop threat from the mid-range at the very least. And Simmons does not present that. But, yeah, I think it's the same stuff that I talked about when the trade happened. It's okay get him involved as a short roller. You get his playmaking there. You just have him make the right play. He is a good athlete. He's fine. He's a, a fine half-court offensive basketball player. He has very little positive impact. I don't think they need him. I don't think they even need his playmaking, but that's the trade-off. But you're just getting a really damn good defensive basketball player at the end of the day. That's like a vast majority of his value to me. And when you have KD and Kyrie, that's kind of your biggest need. So... I'm not overly optimistic. Like, I do think we should keep in mind that when this trade was made, people were like, oh, my God, are the, are the Nets going to win the title now? And I think that they're still a ways away from truly belonging in that conversation. But I do think it makes them just undeniably better and scarier. Yeah. Again, yeah, I think they need him. Yeah. All right. Who do you have actually getting out of the plan? Who are your four teams? Timberwolves, Clippers, Nets, Hawks. Yeah, I agree. I just and don't get me wrong. I actually I think that I would not be surprised if the Pelicans somehow snuck in. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans have been on fire. I would not be surprised if the Hornets got in. I would be absolutely shocked if Cleveland somehow made a move. Um, they've just been so poor since Jared Allen left. Uh, yeah, it, they, they don't have that secondary creator. I like the move for Lavert, and Lavert has his moments here in Cleveland. Um, he'll have his flashes. He's not dependable enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so I would be shocked if Cleveland got out. I would be, I would be dumbfounded if San Antonio got out. But I just think yeah. those are concretely the four best teams: Minnesota, L.A., uh, Brooklyn, and Atlanta. I think are just head and shoulders above the rest, guys. Yeah, I mean everything is just kind of falling apart for the Cavs over their last fifteen, which is like roughly the amount of time that Allen has been out. They're. 24th in defensive rating after they were a top three defense for so much of the year like that was their identity they've never been dynamic enough offensively to compensate for that and so I agree with you I mean I wouldn't it's just tough for me to see it's tough for me to see them beating the Nets to begin with although anything can happen in a single game format but then if you go to a second game I don't know just the Hornets and Hawks have a different level of dynamism offensively but I agree with you I think that the Hawks are really scary. The Hornets have been playing insane offensive basketball as of late. And so, like, I definitely wouldn't count them out. And they've been better than the Cavs as of late. And they maybe just are better than the Cavs without Jared Allen. But I trust the Hawks a bit more because the offense has been at this level all year. Trey is just such a reliable offensive engine. And defensively, I still like their personnel more. And I think that they can reach a more solid level and they have as of late so we agree out west i think that yeah the 
Pelicans do have a path, but the fact that they would have to win two games in a row is a lot, and I just don't think that they're as good. I think that they're at a talent deficit against the T-Wolves or the Clips, even though they have been that much better as of late. So we agree, Logan. Which specific matchup are you most excited for out of the ones that we're going to see in this first play-in round? Clips, T-Wolves. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a war. Maybe Hornets-Hawks. That's going to be yeah. fast-paced, dude. They're going to be running up and down the floor. And a lot it's just of offense. going to be a bucket fest. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those two matchups I think are going to be really fun. Uh, I agree. It'd be a really, it'd be a really big letdown if the. I think it'd be the most disappointed would be if the T Wolves somehow messed around and missed the playoffs. That would suck. That would I would devastate. Then I would really get up on my pulpit and I would say some things because it's like you can't have that. What? You can't have a forty-six win team. What? Crandall, what is your pulpit? Yeah. My raised platform or lectern in a church or chapel from which the preacher delivers a sermon. <laughs> I would get up on my pulpit. And I would be very upset about this. Because, again, you can't have a 46-win team 12 games better than the 10 seed missing the playoffs. And it's been such an impressive season for the T-Wolves. And Chris Finch just got extended. And everybody's finally appreciating Cat. And everybody loves Ant. And, you know, they got the dogs, Jared Vanderbilt and the boys. I just don't want to see that not rewarded. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I know Minnesota fans. Minnesota fans would be devastated, man. It's been such a good year for them. 100%. Um, All right. Any final playing thoughts before we just touch on a couple of the storylines from around the league? No, let's get it. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit more Lakers, okay? Because those are the storylines that are dominating right now. Frank Vogel is officially done. It was reported late last week that this was pretty much final, but it is now final, final, I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, what do you make of that, Frank Vogel being done? Uh. A lot of people uh, have come out, you know, and they immediately attribute this to LeBron. Uh, they immediately, oh, Frank is the scapegoat. Frank deserved another year. He literally won a title. Uh, Carson and Jason Timp broke this down on Lakers tonight uh, for the volume. You can check them out. They go live uh, pretty often during the week, two or three times a week. And uh, I thought Jason and, them and Carson put a pretty nice bow on it uh, that – Vogel never played great rotations here. He never played the right players. Like, the Frank Vogel's mentality is very prehistoric. It's a dinosaur way of thinking about basketball. That we need to have two bigs on the floor. That we need to play DeAndre Jordan. That we need to play Dwight Howard. That we need to give these guys big minutes. And it's a prehistoric way of thinking about basketball. Uh, Jason crunched the numbers on Lakers tonight. Stanley Johnson and Austin Reeves were, concretely throughout the season, the two best uh, players by plus-minus uh, for the Lakers this season. And Vogel would always opt to play the Avery Bradleys of the world. Just guys that are just nowhere near as effective in playing with LeBron and AD. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing is just the prehistoric way of thinking about basketball. Frank, we don't need Roy Hibbert and David West on the floor. You need a guy who can space the floor and you need AD out there. Like, uh, Frank Vogel, in my opinion, is no longer a good basketball coach. I think it was fluky that they won the title in 2020. I think that the Lakers should be thankful that it was in that bubble scenario that that the chips fell like that. I mean, it was kind of a dream scenario for them. You know, play Mm -hmm. your hardest three months of basketball and let's go get this chip and get out of here. I think it was fluky. And I do not think Frank Vogel is a very good NBA coach. I think that Frank Vogel, um, I don't think Frank Vogel should be hired again. Um, I just think he's kind of outdated. I think it's like, uh, 
It's like Doc Rivers almost. And what I mean by that is it's honestly a limiting factor, in my opinion, for the 76ers in the playoffs. That's another story. Um, an oppressor. Uh, they, ask, uh, they ask Doc Rivers, basically, you know, why are you playing DeAndre Jordan out there? Uh, oh, we want, we want DJ against the big guys, and we want Paul Reed against uh, small ball lineups. It's just like Paul Reed at this point in his career is just a better basketball player than DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan. And it's just such a... And it's not like Paul Reed doesn't space the floor, but he plays harder, he's more athletic, he crashes the glass in the same way, and he's just as effective on the interior. The man won G League MVP last year uh, for your information. And it's just, Doc, I want the big guy out there. You don't need the big guy anymore, Doc. Grow up. Grow up. It's 2022. Open your eyes. So, yeah, I just think Frank Vogel is a is a relic of a bygone era. I think it's time for Joe Gatto to hit the showers and to go back to filming skits in grocery stores. <laughs> it's um, actually very sad because Joe did leave in practical <laughs> jokers. Did. Hey, you pick up Frank. Frank Frank's <laughs> open now. Um, just announced, breaking news, Frank Vogel has signed a four-year, $15-an-hour contract with Burger King. He's flipping <laughs> burgers. Uh, I do not think Frank Vogel should be a coach in the NBA anymore. I think this is his last ride. And... Look, I'm not going to put all of the Lakers' issues on Frank. Mm-hmm. All of this is not on Frank. There's a lot on Rob Palenka. There's a lot on the Lakers' organization as a whole. Uh, the roster construction is a big part of it. But Frank Vogel is not a good NBA coach and should not have a job. Maybe you can give him a job as an assistant uh, to a very smart offensive coach. Uh, Frank was not the entire problem in Los Angeles, but he was a very big problem. And uh, the Lakers should be happy that he's gone. Yeah, there was no salvaging this situation. I think that that title year, he won it all with a very wonky roster. He got guys to really commit to the defensive end of the floor. And playing AD alongside a big worked well enough because the bigs were actually pretty good at their roles. Dwight and JaVale. And defensively, it was pretty suffocating. And AD was shooting the lights out. Yeah, AD had his best jump shooting run of his career in those playoffs. And they were just you know, really carried by those top two guys and their role players did their job exceptionally well. And then if you just look at the last couple years, you just had obviously AD not being available. You had, I think, regression from LeBron just in terms of the two-way commitment. I don't think offensively he lost anything. But I think that's what's also tough to identify is that in a situation like LA, of course, Frank Vogel is the head coach, and he's super important in setting a culture and an identity and making all these decisions. But also, so much of it is going to come from the player leadership. Because you have LeBron James, and LeBron James is always just going to mean more than any head coach anywhere. And so I'm not going to sit here and lambaste him and say that, like, oh, it's all LeBron's fault, because I really don't believe that to be true, but I do think that probably some of the two-way slippage that the Lakers saw, yes, part of that was 100% personnel, right? You lose some of those defensive big, you lose the Carusos of the world and all that. But I think it's also just a culture that you can't singularly attribute to Vogel, just like when things were going well, you couldn't singularly attribute it to Vogel because their best guys were super dialed in on that end, and I'm sure that that altered how everybody around them played. So, I think there were a number of things working against the Lakers this year. I think that their roster was poorly constructed just in terms of how they devoted their resources, like we talked about, outside of their big three and THT. I mean, basically every single player was on a minimum or a rookie deal. It's incredibly hard to win a title that way. They weren't healthy. Russ is bad at basketball. (laughs) Like, 
it really was a difficult spot. But at the same time, I agree with you because people talk about coaches being figureheads with LeBron and whatnot and 80s insistence on playing the four and all these different things. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to make the right schematic and rotational basketball decisions. And I just don't think that Vogel did that. No, I don't think he did either. Um, what are you laughing about? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I, I just looked up a Russell Westbrook trade because oh, no. I figured that was the next logical step in this conversation. Yeah. A Julius Randle Russell Westbrook Jesus trade. Christ. Oh, oh, my God. I, I have an idea. I have an idea. We run LeBron at the two. Oh, my God. We run Randle at the three. We run AD at the four. And then we put Dwight at the five. What do you think? I love it. Russ at the one. I love it. We keep Russ. We it's just the best shooting Julius lineup ever. Three. Oh, my Lord. That might be the worst. Nobody I wins. I would throw up. That's the biggest losing trade I've ever heard of. I would throw up everywhere. Um, The one that did make a little bit of sense, uh, the the Buddy Heald uh, Brogdon trade, I liked a little bit. Really? What? You don't like that? I like it a lot for the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. I hate it for the Pacers. Yeah, I don't know why Indiana would do it. I mean, Buddy was putting up literally 20, uh, 20 points and like five assists yeah. a night for them down the stretch. <laughs> Westbrook would take the ball out of Halliburton's hands. I mean, hands. that would. I, I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that would single handedly make the Lakers a legitimate contender. Again. Yes, it would. Like that level of shooting, the two way commitment of Brogdon, the playmaking, like his ability to. Let LeBron play multiple roles offensively where he can be point LeBron or he can be post LeBron, like, or he can just coast through the regular season more. You know, maybe you start really using him as a role man. I don't know that we're ever totally going to see that out of LeBron, but like, Brogdon is a damn good tertiary option offensively. Healthy AD is still a top, I mean, you know, when he's dialed in, got to be like at least a top 12 player on the planet, you would say, in a two way force. Like, that's the thing is if they could find a way to turn Russ into actual value like that, they wouldn't be very far away because then their role guys, again, the responsibilities just slide down and now it's like, oh, wow, Malik and Mello are pretty exceptional mm-hmm. shooters. Austin Reeves is a damn good two-way basketball player when he's just like trying to fill a role. You know, Dwight can still do what we need him to do at a fundamental level as a rotational big, but I don't see how they swing something like that because who watched Russell Westbrook this year and said, yes. I'll have that. <laughs> I really like what that guy brings to the table for $40 million. Hopefully nobody. Sickos. I mean, the other rumor is uh, Charlotte, just because, uh, I guess because of Jordan, I guess is the big one. Uh, the potential trade would be... Gross. Would be Gordon Hayward and Trez for Russ. And again, it's like... That's not nearly as bad. Though. I don't think it's nearly as bad, but it's like, why would I take the ball out of LaMelo, out yeah. of Terry, out of yeah. Miles' hands? It's like... Russ, speaking of relics of bygone eras, yeah. the way Russell Westbrook plays basketball is just ass. <laughs> I don't know any other way to do Russ sucks. Russ is the <laughs> Russ literally is the least winning player in NBA history. Like he just does not play winning basketball. That's quite the statement. Do you mean like He's the biggest guy who's been considered a superstar because there have been some pretty bad basketball players. Yeah, bro. I'm not saying, like, uh, what's that guy's name? I don't know. You'll have to describe him. 
Let's do a is guess the NBA player right now. Over, over, two points. Andy Tonkovich. Like, Andy Tonkovich <laughs> is probably a much bigger loser than Russell Westbrook, right? Guy went with the number one overall pick and averaged 2.6 points per game for 18 games. In the BAA, by the way. Yeah. He was actually probably playing against guys who had just got off their break as plumbers. Straight um, up. Russ is the, is the biggest losing superstar of all time. And, yeah, I don't know why... Oh, my Lord, the Knicks trade. Yeah. You would either go, so it wouldn't have to be Randall. You could go Fournier, D Rose, and like Alec Burks. And I actually, I actually kind of like that for LA. But again, it's like, why would the Knicks do that? And then you're yeah, going, it's just baffling. You're trotting out, you're trotting out Russell Westbrook, Julius Randall, and it's like, ba- like Mitchell how, Robinson. How can you be that starved for theoretical star power? Like genuinely, because we're not talking about the subtleties of Russ's deficiencies as a winning basketball player, right? We're not talking about, like, the frustrating plays, the turnovers, the inefficiency, but it's like, oh, my God, look at the overwhelming athleticism, look at the insane raw production. Like, no. Russ was clowned by everybody this year. Lakers fans and NBA fans at large alike, other players, media, everybody. It was a walking field day with Russell Westbrook. He is old. He's wildly expensive. He's incredibly stubborn. And why would like a team like Charlotte want him when they actually have a good thing going, a beautiful thing going on the offensive end? Like, what is even the theoretical value? It's like, oh, we have a guy who can still collapse defenses, who can get downhill. Like, why do I care? He's going to take terrible shots. He's going to score inefficiently. He's going to take my offense entirely out of rhythm. Like, the Hornets just do so much so well, dude. They have multiple scores, playmakers. They have a really nice balance. I just don't get it. There are two destinations I can legitimately see Russ going to. One is the Sacramento Kings because the Kings are the dumbest franchise on planet Earth. Uh, I don't know why. For they... what? Don't tell me, how, Logan. De'Aaron Fox and Russell Westbrook. No, could not possibly play no, basketball they couldn't. together. I'm just saying that the Kings are a dumb enough franchise where they would entertain it. The only actual other spot I can imagine it happening, and this doesn't make sense for L.A. because they don't have the assets that would make this team a contender, is Oklahoma City. And that's for sentimental reasons. And it's like, why would Sam Presti do that? He wouldn't. Like you're, You'd have to, if the Lakers had a first to get right. him to get off the contract, Multiple then maybe firsts. Presti would go for it. But then it's like, what are you getting back? You're getting back... Nothing, because they just don't have role players, you know, like right now. They have young assets. So, I... Yeah. <laughs> the Thunder straight up, like, who is the player, I mean, who you could get back for Russ, where you would, like, actually, like, obviously, Dort would be firmly in the rotation. That would yeah. be a pretty pretty good pickup, even though you have the shooting inconsistency. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, is a guy who's, like, ready to actually play in a winning situation. I mean, Trey Mann, but you're not giving up Trey Man because he's a beast. Well, also, I just don't think he's ready to, like, actually play championship basketball. You know? I would say I would say Lou Dort and Jeremiah Robinson yeah. Earl, and that's where— maybe, And keep in mind, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is just, like, solid, you know? And then— uh, like, I like him. He does a lot of things pretty well, but— Maybe Ty Jerome? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that happens. I straight up don't know how Russ gets moved. Like, the fact that there are even this many contenders popping up in the conversation blows my mind. Like, 
Dude, I straight up don't know how anybody would do it because the Lakers can't give you assets. He is so overwhelmingly negative as an asset. He's a liability. Like, you would have to throw me several firsts, and I would have to have, like, well, maybe not several, just because, like, the contract is expiring, but a first at the very least, and I would have to have no interest in actually winning basketball games. And, yeah, then, and that's... then I would entertain Russell Westbrook. And they can only give up one first because that's all they have for the next five yeah. years. So it's like, dude. Either well, way, when Le- no, they can't trade that, can they? They could do a, they could do a pick swap. They can't. I thought they. I could. mean, because of the Stepien rule. No, I don't wow. think so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers. The Lakers are gonna be the worst team in basketball after LeBron leaves, and it's gonna be a really ugly sight. And I'm going to dance on their grave, and it's going to be hype. Their grave is already being danced on. It's already being dug. Yeah, the Lakers are uh, Lakers are in a really bad spot. I don't know. What, what destination actually seems the most logical for Russell Westbrook if you had to pick one? None. <laughs> Maybe the Knicks, just because they're like already committed. They're already paying Randall a big contract. They're so desperate to be relevant, however, and they would just be like, boy, isn't this fun. But if you take a team that actually has a promising, really talented young core like Charlotte or, or a team like Indiana where it's like, I don't know, why are you taking the ball out of Halliburton's hands? It's just all of that would baffle me. Like the Knicks are just hopeless enough, desperate enough, mediocre enough, and yet committed financially where I could see it happening. With that, yeah, I have a trivia question to close oh, out the show. Okay. Carson, what two teams in basketball have played the most players in their rotation this season? What two teams? The Thunder. Correct. Uh, both teams have played 26 players this season. Okay. Interesting. That is a lot. Yeah, bro. Wow. I mean, I don't know. We were just talking about the Knicks. That makes me wonder if it's them. But 26 is a lot. I don't think so. I'm just trying to think about teams who have cycled through guys. It is crazy, I will say, this year. And that is another legacy of this year. It's just guys missing games. Mm-hmm. Like, as we talked about with the All-NBA, it's rare to see dudes who played 70 games. Who is it? The Celtics. Celtics have had 26, 26. players play for the Yeah. Wow. Pretty wild, dude. Um, I can't remember. Oh, no. They broke. No, they have the, the Celtics have the, the biggest. 28 guys have played for the Celtics this season. More than the Thunder. Yeah. I forgot Joe Johnson got a 10-day. I forgot oh, about yeah. that. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, Matt Ryan was the was number 28 um, of the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Ryan out of Notre Dame um, yeah. was the 28th guy for uh, That's hilarious. the Celtics this season. Kind of wild. That is a great trivia question, Logan. And with that, I think we're ready to wrap up. So dial up those TV sets. We got playing basketball, baby, and then we got the real thing, obviously, starting this weekend. So... Get excited for all of that. Yes. Dial up those TV sets. <laughs> yeah. Get the antennas situated properly. Grab the remote. No, no. Gather no, no, around no, no, no. the family. No, turn the knob on the TV. Yeah, turn the knob on the TV. Actually, what are we talking about? You're listening to Lone Ranger on the radio. <laughs> That's what you're going to be doing instead of watching NBA basketball. But if you don't want to do either of those things, you can always just listen to Nerd Sesh. I mean, there's lots of places to find us. We're all over social media. We practically invented TikTok where you can find us at Nerd Sesh. We're all over Instagram, same handle, Twitter, Twitch, at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can check us out on YouTube. I don't know, just if you're feeling froggy. If you listen to our podcast, it's 
what we just did. And that's really on all audio platforms, wherever you get your content, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. You can check out our website, nerdsesh.com. I don't know. Seems like a fun way to maybe pass the time, but yeah, it's playoff season, baby. Buckle in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Friday, we're going to have a full playoff preview. That's going to be a loaded show. Loaded. Wednesday, we're going to be do, doing something a little special, we think. So get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready. All right. With that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.